This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We all know that the workplace can be a challenging environment at times. The issues around sexual harassment are part of the problem, but you also have the challenges fighting against the perceived norms in the office. And those issues can be even greater for those who are uh, transgender or if your lifestyle is outside of those norms. A new book takes a look at those challenges. It is titled Gender Ambiguity in the Workplace. Transgender and Gender Diverse Discrimination. The authors of the book are Lily Zhang and Allison Ash Fogarty. And uh, Lily Zhang joins us on the show right now to discuss the book. She is a design researcher at Stanford University. Lily, welcome. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for your time today. Um, so the issue is dealing with norms. I mean, it's something that has been around for a while and continues today. But I think a lot of the, the, the a lot of people out there would ask why it still is continuing today. Yeah. So when you look at the experiences of people in the workplace, not just transgender people, but also people who identify as the gender corresponding to the sex they were assigned at birth, cisgender people, um, you see that these gender norms put on by the gender binary, right, splitting society into men and women, are extremely restrictive for, for everyone, really, people of all genders. So, for example, men aren't allowed to be emotional in the workplace. Women aren't allowed to be confident in the workplace. And because of the rigidity of these gender norms, you see them persisting over time and affecting not just trans people, but everyone in the workplace. What do you think is the impact then that, that, that some of these issues end up having, uh, having on the company and the, 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 the workspace in general? Honestly, it restricts people's creative potential. It restricts people's ability to think outside the box. It restricts their productivity. It restricts their innovation, right? How can you create something that's going to change the world if you're acting under these extremely, extremely restrictive um, implicit rules in the workplace of what you can and can't do, of how you can and can't look, of how you should or shouldn't think? So let's take a look at, you know, at just kind of a company in general, not a specific company, but how it is structured. Uh, when you think about some of these issues and, and the biases that may be there, let's look at hiring for a second. How do you think mm -hmm. that these issues specifically impact hiring at companies across the U.S.? Absolutely. We saw this a lot when we talked to participants for this research. But during the hiring process, there's so many touch points where bias can creep in. Um, one of them is just over the phone. We talked to many trans folks that explained that over the phone, they would almost never get a job because people would make assumptions based on their voice or how they would sound. People hmm. would read their ID cards and see that there would be an F and they would expect an F voice. And then on the phone, they would hear something that didn't sound like them to an F voice. And then they would assume, they would say, oh, maybe this person, maybe there's something off about this person. And that bias would creep into the hiring process. And many transos we talked to were frustrated because they said, in person, I can totally make this work. But over the phone, this is the only information they have to judge my gender. And so if it doesn't fit, they're not going to hire me. And that sounds like one of the stories you're telling in the book uh, about uh, a woman who had been 
have been really working on the issues uh, of her gender. And I, I guess after uh, her her uh, operation, she was told by uh, somebody to not even bother going to recruiters because they won't even touch you. That's right. And the the quote, I think, is recruiters will not present someone with deficiencies because it reflects badly on them as a recruiter. And so hmm. you, you see this blatant discrimination, this blatant idea that, well, if you're trans, that just makes you worse than everyone else. Sorry, that's just not, that's just how it rolls here. And, you know, the person we talked to had no recourse. There was nothing she could do because this one facet of her identity overpowered all of her workplace experience. She had executive level experience um, working for a, a major tech company, and she couldn't find a job in the Bay Area because people were just fixated on that one aspect of her identity. Well, and, and then I guess then that brings up the question of, why we aren't doing more of just going on the capabilities of a person, past record, business success, and worrying about all these other factors that are seemingly playing in? Well, it's difficult because even when people are doing in-person interviews, you see these same sort of biases appear. Sure, and yeah. it's because we have these ideas in our head, these stereotypes or these prototypes, if you will, of what the right employee looks like. And I would say that despite all of our rhetoric about hiring based on merit, we still have these implicit ideas in our head of what a good employee looks like, right, or, or of what the right employee looks like. And so you see all this language about fit, right, hiring for fit, fitting the culture. And that's just coded language to say we want people that look and think like us despite their merit. And that's still not okay in the workplace. And seemingly, I would think that that problem uh, probably exacerbates itself at a higher level the higher you go up the corporate chain. That's right. And this is one of the largest contributors to the fact that there are, to my knowledge, no trans people that are in C-level positions in Fortune 500 companies. And you see this problem across race, across class, across religion. Overwhelmingly, the C-level executives at Fortune 500 companies are cisgender, white, heterosexual men. And that visibility of that population is self-reinforcing. It, it creates this vicious cycle where only people who look like that and have those life experiences enter those positions, regardless of merit. What do you think it's going to, going to need to occur to be able to kind of change some of this mindset, change some of these stereotypes? I think we really need to take a look at diversity and inclusion through this new lens, through not like a race-blind or a gender-blind lens, but recognizing that our identities make us important and our identities make us valuable, right? There is a value to having a cisgender, white, heterosexual man in the workplace. That is a unique experience. Mm -hmm. And that experience has nothing to do with the experience of a transgender, bisexual, Latina woman, right? And that diversity of experience lends itself to so many different ways of thinking, ways of doing, ways of acting in the workplace. And so rather than just saying, we're going to ignore your identity and hire you on the basis of merit, we should say, no, your identity has everything to do with the way you go about your work. And so how can we bring identity back into the workplace and to say, no, there's something about you, there's something about your life experiences that make you special. And we're not going to try to erase that in the workplace.
We are joined uh, on the phone by Lily Zhang, who is the co-author of the book Gender Ambiguity in the Workplace, Transgender and Gender Diverse Discrimination. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you're not able to get your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. You mentioned no... C-suite representation from transgender or gender diverse, uh, I, I would think that you know this is something that goes all the way down the corporate chain as well. Somebody that may be, have been working for a company for two or three years may find it harder to be able to get that first promotion at times because of this, uh, this bias that's out there. Absolutely. We saw a story of one trans woman who was considering transitioning in the workplace, and she saw a coworker, a VP level um, coworker, transition. And this coworker, she was set up for a promotion, she was set up for a whole bunch of career advancements, and her career stagnated. She just stayed in the same position. She couldn't get promoted. She couldn't get a raise. And just watching that experience convinced this person we talked to to quit the company. It was a message that the company wasn't going to be a space where she could be herself. You have even uh, relayed stories about how there is an element of this in organizations and some organizations that are supporting LGBT initiatives that, you know, their mindset, that mindset still even plays in that arena as well. That's right, because this idea of the gender binary is everywhere in our society, right? Whether or not we are LGBT focused, we've all internalized these ideas that men should be this and women should be this. Um, the story you're probably thinking of is in this nonprofit. We talked yep. to this person who was told to man up, right? He was lifting, he was lifting shipping containers or something similar. And his boss just said, oh, you know, if I can lift this and you can lift this, be a man. And he had a bad back. He just couldn't lift the box. But these gender norms and these prescriptive ideas about how men and women should act were still functioning in this LGBT nonprofit, just as they function pretty much everywhere in society. If we're not actively engaging with them and actively pushing back against them, they'll just creep in because this is what we've all been raised to internalize. This is all what we've learned growing up. Are you starting to see any instances of of this type of bias going away? Are there companies that are at least thinking about this as an issue that they need to address? There are some. I can't name specifics, but sure. companies that have supportive managers are making a world of difference. The manager is really the point that we identified that changes everything. When there's a direct manager that can support trans employees and a direct manager that models behavior, then the workplace becomes a radically different location for trans people to experience authenticity, right? So when managers say, we're not going to have an explicit dress code in this workplace, we care less about dress code than you do about, you know, being professional and talking to our clients respectfully. So that's what matters. If you can do that well, dressed however you want, then you should do that. And just ideas like this that take the focus off of these arbitrary rules and refocus onto real things that the company should be caring about have been shown to be successful. Uh, managers are, are experimenting with these things, and the ones that are succeeding are the ones that are thinking critically about their role, thinking critically about the company, and seeing gender as what it is, which is just a series of assumptions, right? So we can't say um, be masculine in the workplace when what we're trying to say is, well, you need to be firm with your customers, right? So that's yeah. 
far more important than saying, oh, you just got a man up in the workplace. Well, that it, tells us a lot more information. And, and the other part to it is, and it's a, a story that we have talked about on this show in the past, uh, is the fact that right now we are at a time where companies are looking to make sure that they retain good employees as much as they possibly can. They understand the cost that is associated with a high turnover rate within a particular firm. You would think that that you know this is, would be a case of one plus two equals three, where you understand that if if uh, if all of your employees are not being treated in the proper manner, you are going to lose them, whether you know whoever they may be. Well, here's the catch: it's that to treat trans employees right doesn't mean just making small fixes to your company, okay. right? To really address this issue of gender norms companies need to look critically at everyone and everything, right? It's an issue of company culture and an issue of leadership. It's not just, we're going to build one bathroom and hope that the trans people are going to be happy with that. It's, no, this entire system of telling women that they should do this and telling men that they should do this is impacting men, women, trans people, non-binary people, gender diverse people, everyone. And so this sort of large sweeping change many companies are wary of. And as a result, they're only doing these shallow surface level changes that are not succeeding in retaining their trans employees. And to be honest, not succeeding in, in treating their cisgender men and women employees well to begin with. I, I would think that especially in today's age where we have the concerns over sexual harassment that obviously we have uh, in almost every company that – that these would be issues as well that would be addressed uh, by firms. Seems like it doesn't, and it seems like it's a very slow process to kind of get companies to think in this manner. It's certainly difficult. When you look at the sexual harassment cases that have come up, usually companies will frame it as an issue of leadership. And so they will take steps to purge one or two people, to assign the blame to one or two people. Um, and that often helps with PR, but what that doesn't tell you is it doesn't expose the cultural problems that empowered sexual harassment to happen in the first place. And it's these same cultural problems that affect trans people and affect women and men and non-binary people. Um, these problems of power, right, and masculinity, and who does what and who plays what role. And so if companies are only trying to cover their li liabilities and fire their managers when these cases come up, they're not actually going to fix the problem. And we're going to keep on seeing stories like the stories from the Me Too movement come up again and again and again, because these are not stories about specific people. These are stories about embedded cultures of toxic behavior, of, of toxic gendered behavior. You have a chapter in the book that is titled The Anatomy of Discrimination, uh, and one of the pieces of it is Discrimination's Many Faces, and I think we've talked about a, a little bit of, of it here uh, so far, but seemingly uh, there are a variety of different things that, that people may be, may be experiencing that will end up being discrimination uh, in, in firms across the U.S., correct? That's right. Some of these things, and I would say many of these things, apply to people that aren't trans. For example, one of them is gender policing. Trans people reported that overwhelmingly in the workplace they were given pressure or harassed or told to change the way they dressed to conform to these hidden gender roles. Right? We had one person who worked in a tent company who said, I would come to work some days wearing a kilt or come to work some days wearing a dress. And I noticed that on those days, suddenly my work became more critiqued, 
Suddenly, I became more micromanaged. The HR representative needled me to change my clothing in the middle of the day. And as a result of all this harassment, they were extremely uncomfortable in this workplace, and they ended up leaving. And so I think this sort of experience may be more intense than many people experience, but but we see this. So many people have experienced discomfort or pressure to look or appear a certain way at work, whether or not you're trans. And this is just one of the many kinds of discrimination we found. Is there even a difference between male and female uh, for transgender people in the workplace, like the perception of, of, uh, of somebody who is now a man or somebody who is now a woman, the difference between how they are perceived in the workplace? Sorry, repeat that last bit one more time. Well, I mean, is there a difference in terms of of the reaction that a company or an employee may have, you know, depending on whatever the sex of of the transgender person may be, whether it be male or female? Yeah, so this is a very, very interesting topic. And we looked at this closely. We looked at the experiences of transgender women, people who transitioned to become women, and transgender men, people who transitioned to become men. And what we found overwhelmingly is the people who transitioned to become men in the workplace all received major boosts in their respect, in their pay, in their work experiences. People were finding that when they became more masculine, they were suddenly more accepted in the workplace. We have this one story of this sales analyst who was initially perceived to, to be a, a lesbian woman in the workplace, mm-hmm. and this, this person had a really hard time being perceived as a lesbian woman. They received a lot of discrimination. And then um, when, when this person decided to come out as a trans man, suddenly right? He was part of the boys club. Suddenly, everyone was treating him well. He would get invited to play basketball with the guys. He would get included in the guys' conversations. Um, his boss treated him better. He got a pay raise. He got more responsibilities. And this feeds back into, in, into the idea that in the workplace, there are some people that are more valued than others, right? And trans yeah. people give us this window into looking at how these gendered relations play out. Because Trans people, trans people move, right? Trans people change the way they look and change the way they appear. And that tells us so much about men and women and gender in the workplace. We are joined by Lily Zhang, who is a co-author with uh, Allison Ash Fogarty of the book Gender Ambiguity in the Workplace, Transgender and Gender Diverse Discrimination. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. It doesn't sound like with, with the, the last commentary you made that no matter who the person is, that seemingly we are continuing to see the impact on women being more significant than we're seeing on men right now. That's right. We're seeing the same thing recapitulated, right, just with different flavors. We're seeing trans women uh, experience just the opposite effect, as I was talking about. People who are, who used to be perceived as men in the workplace, when they transition away from that, they get doubly hit for two reasons. One they they take on this mantle of womanhood, which is which is not benefited in the workplace, right? Women are pushed down in the workplace, and they're punished for moving away from masculinity. Men get really threatened when they see trans women transition because they say, why would you give up being a man for that, right? Why would you yeah. give up being this, this superior gender for whatever you chose now? And so trans people receive this, this twofold dis- discrimination. Trans women receive it. 
and it contributes heavily to the rampant underemployment and unemployment among trans women populations, especially trans women of color, for whom these problems are all exacerbated. I'm going to ask this final question in in two aspects. Uh, One, uh, what is it that you expect to see in in the months and years to come in terms of the relationship of of transgender people working in, in companies? But I'm also going to ask it from the perspective of what do you expect? Because I think there, there's two different there's two different paths that we could go down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I what I hope will happen is that trans people continue to experience gains in visibility, as we found in the last four years since 2014 when Time Magazine announced its trans tipping point. The visibility of trans people in the United States and around the world has continued to grow, which is amazing. It's fantastic to see. However, at the same time, we've seen that this this growth in visibility hasn't been accompanied by meaningful changes in, in discrimination experiences, in standard of living, in many of these measures. And so I hope that continued visibility will start conversations in the workplace and that these conversations will begin to chip into these long-held ideas about gender, right? These long-held ideas about gendered norms and gendered systems and all of these things. And that that change will eventually begin to shape structures, to shape norms in the workplace, to shape leadership, and that we can start to see these workplaces where truly inclusive cultures will be built. That's the hope. Now, what I expect will happen is that many companies will choose the easy way out and will attempt to cover their ass, right? Yeah. Um, pardon me for, for, for swearing. Um, but liability is one of the most important things for many companies. And so they will respond to lawsuits and they will respond to bad PR. Right. And they will respond to trans people calling them out. However, these kind of high-profile cases are not going to make a meaningful difference on changing workplace cultures. In fact, it might have the opposite effect, right? When a company sees that hiring a trans person that later sues them is going to be bad press, that's going to be more incentive for them yeah. not to hire trans people. That's going to be more incentive for them to, to retaliate against trans people. And that's, that's an experience that, unfortunately, we saw a lot of in the research, this retaliation that affected many trans folks and prevented them from reporting. Lily, thanks very much for coming on the show today. Uh, Excellent work on the book. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. The book, again, is Gender Ambiguity in the Workplace, Transgender and Gender Diverse Discrimination. The authors, Lily Zhang and Allison Ash Fogarty. It is available in bookstores and online if you would like to pick it up and purchase it. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 